1: This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Marano. We are just a few days away from the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and a few things are abundantly clear. Looking back at this uh, horrible tragedy six decades later, one it's that people are still interested in it, and two it's that the majority of people, according to public opinion polls, do not buy the official report of. The Warren Commission, a man who has caused me to think about this case more than anyone else over the course of the last six or seven years has been. Mark Shaw. He's written four brilliant books about this. He's written books about other subjects, but the four books of what I'll call the uh, Kilgallen series are an absolute must-read. The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, Fighting for Justice, collateral, Collateral Damage, and Denial of Justice. And it's about a lot more than just the John F. Kennedy assassination. It's about the mysterious death of Dorothy Kilgallen. It's about the death of Marilyn Monroe. It's about the death of Lee harvey oswald it's about the death of robert f kennedy there's a ton in there and he is showing absolutely no signs of slowing down because he has just done some reporting that totally calls into question the final conclusion of the warren commission which is that lee harvey oswald acted alone i'm very pleased to welcome back to the program new york times best-selling author and a recovering attorney the one and only mark shaw mark it's great to talk to you (laughs)
0: I like that recovering attorney boy that 's for sure isn 't it? A <laughs> uh, former attorney recovering I always put that with attorneys so that people will really think about believing me you know because most people don 't believe lawyers anymore so but thank you for that nice introduction. I appreciate it it may It may seem to your listeners like i can 't hold a job because i i 've you know written all these books and then I did a bunch of stuff with the criminal defense attorney and did network coverage for some of the Uh, famous trials like O.J. and Kobe and and, uh, Mike Tyson and all that. And, you know, who is this guy? Because he seems to keep moving from occupation to occupation. But the last few years, of course, uh, I dove into the assassination and, as you talked about, uh, the life and times and the death of of Dorothy Kilgallen. Uh,
1: Mark, do you, obviously what you're doing now, I'm sure, is very rewarding and uh, certainly very interesting. I'm curious, though, do you miss practicing law at all?
0: I do. I do. And it's it's interesting because um, I, I never had any idea that uh, all of this would happen to me. I'm so blessed, Frank. I've had a very, very interesting uh, life. I, uh, I grew up in Indiana and then went to Purdue University and, if you can imagine, uh, almost flunked out of there uh, during my freshman year, the same year that I learned about the JFK assassination, uh, 1963 and um you know uh, i just never was a very good student or anything else like that uh and then of course uh once i graduated i didn't know what to do with you know what the hell to do with myself so i became a bartender in chicago and uh then women would uh, guys would come in and they'd be talking to the women in there and they'd impress them by saying i'm going to law school so i thought well maybe i can get into law school so i did and then I, sent, I spent several years as a, uh, a criminal defense attorney for high-profile murder cases. Got into the network business and everything, and then uh, I covered uh, the Mike Tyson trial, and that's the first case that I ever really reported for the networks. And then I wrote my first book about it, and so it's been quite a journey in terms of where I'm going. But um, you know, I'm an under, I'm an overachiever, and I always like to to you know be an inspiration for people because. Uh, You know, you can do anything you want to in life if you work hard enough at it and you decide that, that, you know, you're you're making a difference. And somehow or another, I became a historian through all of this. And um, the the biggest thing, though, I miss is practicing law. But I'll tell you what I have as an alternative. What I missed about practicing law was giving, you know, uh, learning about the evidence, researching, all that. I do that with what I do now. I uh, would um, uh, do uh, opening statements and final arguments at trials. I do that now with the opening of the book and, mm. and the final part of the book. And the other thing is interesting. Um, I never had any training in um, in uh, in writing. I never had any of those workshops that people go to Iowa for and all that other. But here's how I learned to write, I by talking to juries. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm very blessed when people say, Mark, your books are so easily read. And I think to myself, well, uh, they're good. They're organized well and all that. That's what I used to do with the juries, talk to the jurors about the evidence and so on and so forth. And, of course, since I'm from an all, a small town back in Indiana, I don't have a great vocabulary. So I can really, you know, I, I tell people who want to write books that a book is like having a conversation with the reader, but you're not there. And so there's some similarities there, and I appreciate you asking me that question. So I kind of get my my, um, you know, what I really enjoyed and a great deal about practicing law uh, from writing my books.
1: Well, I I can certainly understand that, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. As I alluded to when I was introducing you, the American people do not and have never over the course of the last 59 years or so believed the final report of the Warren Commission. What may come as a bit of a a surprise to some people is something that you've sort of discovered here, which is that even within Warren Commission circles, their final conclusion was somewhat controversial. Fill us in here, uh, Mark. What have you discovered?
0: Well, I'll tell you what. When I I was in a a class in my freshman year at Purdue and JFK was killed, I cried like everybody else. But then, you know, I, I didn't pay too much attention to what was going on because you know, uh, it wasn't too long after that. Let's see, it's September of 64, so we're talking not even a year after the assassination. The Warren Commission, you know, uh, publicized its final report. So I bought it like everybody else did. You know, this is what an honorable, uh, you know, I have a photograph of the Warren Commission right in front of me, and you've got LBJ, and you've got J. Edgar Hoover, and you've got... You know, all of these individuals, Earl Warren, the the Chief Justice Supreme Court, and they've done all this investigation, and they've looked into all these witnesses and everything, and they're telling us it was Oswald alone. So I bought all that, and and I think uh, you're you're saying now, I think it's something we're around 80% of the people now that don't believe a great deal in the Warren Commission verdict. But back then, they did, and through the years, they did, and, and the books that came out about Oswald alone and all of that, So it was interesting for me because I've done all this research uh, into the JFK assassination, and you know that my kind of spiritual guide has been this woman, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen. And uh, for your audience that doesn't know, you know, although most people remember her, uh, from the uh, quiz show "What's My Line," which was on CBS for ten years, it was a quiz show that gave uh, guests unusual occupations. But um, it was interesting because I never knew anything about her either until I uh, interviewed uh, some people who knew knew Melvin Belli, who was Jack Ruby's lawyer, and they said that well Belli knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, well, how'd that happen? And they said, well, she was at the uh, she investigated the JFK assassination. So it was just an interesting situation where I kept finding this clue and another clue and all of that. And um, uh, but I'm going to apologize just a little bit to your audience and to you because there's some things that I really missed with my research. Uh, I had gone back and and thought about the the Warren Commission, but I never really investigated like I uh, investigated it like I should have, because I really believe that they probably got it right. But when I started looking into it in Dorothy Kilgallen's eyes, I found out that uh, she was a close friend of JFK's. Uh, He used to come to her home in in, uh, in, in New York City. They called her the most powerful female voice in America, the New York Post did. But he used to come there. They were friends uh, and all of that. And uh, they got to know each other really well. And the the turning point for her, uh, I think your audience will find it interesting, as you remember, was... That uh, he invited her to the White House at one particular point, and and he could, she could bring her young uh, son, Carrie, and he she did that, and Pierre Salinger set it up for JFK to meet little Kerry in the library, and JFK came in and made a big fuss over over Kerry and the letters he'd brought from the third grade class. He gave him a PT 109 pen and all that kind of stuff, and so uh, you know Dorothy was you know he she she really admired john f kennedy as as we should for many things that he did on this 60th anniversary the cuban missile crisis civil rights try, maybe he would have gotten us out of vietnam all that so she had a lot of admiration for him but when he was killed uh she she was just devastated and the first column she ever wrote about the jfk assassination was uh what i remember is a tall man stooping over a little boy admiring the letters he brought from his third grade class. This is the man who was assassinated in Dallas. And then when she saw Jack Ruby shoot Lee Harvey Oswald, that perked up her ears and she decided, I'm going to look into this. So what did she do? She went to Dallas. Now there's all these experts out there who have written about the assassination and researched it and done everything else, uh, but they weren't there in Dallas. I wasn't there in Dallas. You weren't there in Dallas. So we don't have a first hand uh, a knowledge of what's of, of what happened there. But Dorothy did. First thing she did was talk to the Dallas police chief total who told her when the shots rang out in Dealey Plaza. Uh, he told his officers to go to the overpass. So she didn't believe all this stuff about the book depository and everything else. And and she, she would then go to Dealey Plaza and report, and then she did the most important thing, and none of us and none of the experts that I've ever heard from have done this. She was at the Ruby trial, the Jack Ruby trial, charged with murdering Lee Harvey Oswald. And when she sat in the front row, she started hearing all this evidence uh, you know Ruby just said he would he accidentally ended ended up in the in the basement uh, when ruby uh, when Oswald was being transferred she heard evidence that he told people he would be there the police would help him get into the to the basement that he'd make like a reporter all of that and Dorothy later in a column proved through through some of her um, uh, her um entertainment friends that they uh, they had played at uh, Jack Ruby's carousel club so She's listening to all this, and then the biggest break came. Uh, Melvin Belli's uh, associate lawyer, uh, Joe Tonahill, motioned her over. She had already made contact with Ruby a couple times. Later, she would find out that Ruby used to watch, they used to watch uh, What's My Line at the Carousel Club. So Tonahill said, uh, Dorothy, uh, uh, Jack Ruby wants to talk to you. So behind the railing between the spectators and the uh, lawyers' counsel's table, she talked to him for about 10 minutes. Now, uh, most of your audience is saying, okay, Mark, you're going to really give us a breakthrough here and tell us what Ruby told her. Well, w- we can't know that, and I'll explain why. We don't know what he told her, but I can tell you what was going on there. So anyway, she kept investigating. She kept writing all these these um, uh, columns. The Oswald file must not close, and Lyndon Johnson, come on. The American public need us, uh, you know, to... Uh, know the truth, and all of that. And I'm getting then, of course, to the Warren Commission, but I want to explain, if I may, exactly how that came up. Please. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover uh, was was worried, and I've been able to prove this through eyewitnesses, was worried that he and the FBI would be held responsible for JFK's death. They should have stopped it. They should have known who was going to do it, all of that. And so he said to himself, I've got to go to... Excuse me. I've got to go into protect mold. The first thing that he did was he shouted Oswald alone, Oswald alone to the universe, and people bought that. Then he took the files of the Dallas Police Department and confiscated them and sent them to the bureau in New York City so they could do the investigation from there. The worst one, and this is why JFK was never given the justice he deserved when he died, just as Dorothy Kilgallen wasn't, as you as you know, and Marilyn Monroe wasn't that they're all connected those cases in a collateral damage, one of my books. Um, he 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 had the body, he basically stole the body and sent it uh, to Washington, D.C., so the autopsy could be uh, conducted there. Cyril Weck, who's a famous forensic scientist who's been a big supporter of my book, said if out of the 60,000 autopsy reports he's ever read, it's the worst one he's ever seen. So now uh, J. Edgar Hoover has plugged a couple holes, but then he finds out Congress is going to Investigate the JFK assassination, or the Texas Attorney General's going to and he is, he and his neighbor LBJ decide, wait a minute, we can't let that happen. If they get an investigation like that, we might look in, they might look into LBJ's uh, crazy things and illegal things he did with the oil industry. they might look into uh, J Edgar Hoover's dirty laundry and all of that. Let's form a commission. So they get Earl Warren, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, to be the head of that. It becomes the Warren Commission. And Dorothy then kind of watches all this to see who's on the panel. The first one that really bothered her was if they're really looking for the truth, why in the world is Alan Dulles? On the Warren Commission, because he had been fired two years earlier by JFK, based on the whole mess with the Cuban uh, rebels and all that kind of thing. What's he doing on there? She wonders, and then she looks at. Uh, uh, wait a second, Gerald Ford's on there, and I found some uh, audio tapes of JFK of. Uh, Of uh, LBJ and uh, Hoover talking about who they want on the commission, and they said, "Well, we're going to put Jerry Ford on there because, uh, to use the cliche, he can't chew gum and talk at the same time." So they have him on there, and then you know it's interesting because Dorothy is is uh, really thinks, "Hey, wait a minute, they maybe they are legitimate because they put two senators on there, one was Senator John Sherman Cooper of Kentucky, the other was Senator Richard Russell." of uh, georgia he was a democrat cooper was a republican they were both really well thought of in fact cooper was one of jfk's best friends in fighting for justice i have photographs of cooper being at the white house he and his wife with jackie and jfk and all of that so now we've got this warren commission and they start their investigation and dorothy's watching closely what happens and it was, int- it was interesting because, again, Hoover is controlling what is going to happen there. He has them all sign a code of silence that they will never talk about anything they learn with the hearings, the final report, nothing else like that. He's controlling that. And then the other thing that I found out was that uh, the investigation at the Warren Commission was really not conducted by the members. It was contact. It was conducted by uh, the assistants, the, uh, the staff, and all of that. And how did I learn that? How did I miss all that? Because I didn't go ahead and research further as I should have done. Until last July, when I got a, a, an email from a gentleman named Morris Wolfe, and Mr. Wolfe said, Mr. Shaw, uh, I watched uh, one of your presentations at the Allen Library outside of Dallas. And he said, I noticed there were 6 million views. In fact, there's 11 million views, my God, for all of my videos that I've uh, done on my presentations and interviews. He said, I noticed a name on there. The name was Dorothy Kilgallen. And he wrote in the email, you might want to call me because I knew Dorothy. Well, Frank, anytime something like that happens, I mean, you're a curious person and a man of the truth, your ears perk up because so few people that I've ever found really knew Dorothy uh, way back in, in the 1960s. And so I said, may I call you? And I did. And it was amazing because right away, he just, you know, he's a very quick talking man and he just started unloading all this information. He said, I, I was a Yale graduate and and then I got to work for Bobby Kennedy. I was a professor suggested that. And I, when I first walked into RFK's office, there he was in his shirt sleeves and his tie was undone. And he he was kind of uh, nodding a little bit when he got excited. I mean, these are clues to me that this guy legitimately was there. And so he tells me that he started working for Bobby Kennedy, and this is one thing he told me that probably shocked me as much as anything else, and I think it will you and your audience, and that is that he said, you know, they trusted me so much, JFK and RFK, that they had me as a go-between between between, uh, the president and the attorney general, and I would ride my bicycle between the attorney general's office eight blocks to the White House on my bicycle I would walk I would I would ride there with packets of secret information uh, because I had a high security clearance and you know why I did that Mr. Shaw why they had me do that because they knew J Edgar Hoover was tapping our phones now you think about that Frank the highest echelon of government you know the Attorney General and the President are having to worry about the FBI director sure uh... tapping their phones so then he goes on, and he says, you know, I work with, uh, he's such a, a, an impressive man. He he goes on and tells me, you know, I worked with John Kennedy on the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I actually pretty much wrote Title II about all of the prejudice in the South and how, you know, we had to stop that with the Civil Rights Act, which was passed in '64. So he tells me about that, and then he says... Well, here's the kicker, though. You're probably going to wonder how I knew Dorothy Kilgallen, but let me explain that. i want to say, yeah, give me that right away, but he said, I have to tell you how. And I said, what? He said, well, I was done working with Bobby Kennedy, but he suggested that I should be the legislative assistant for John Sherman Cooper, who had just been appointed to the Warren Commission. So I said, "Is that right?" He said, "Yes." He was he was such an impressive man, a man of integrity, very close friend with with uh, the Coopers. In fact, uh, I used to go to parties at Senator Cooper's home at 29th and N Street in Georgetown, and and I would you know converse with who was there, Jackie, and so on and so forth that way. And so, of course, right after the interview, I looked up uh, 29th and N Street, and that is where Cooper lived. So he said, well, I was there and everything, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, at those uh, dinners, I sat right next to Dorothy Kilgallen. And I almost screamed. I thought, what? He said, yeah. Uh, she was a bright light bulb, and she was a good friend of Senator Cooper's. And he admired her a great deal, just as she admired him. And she would ask me all these questions about him and what was going on with you know, uh, him in Congress and all of that. And so I really got to know her well. And then I have to tell you, Mr. Shaw, that, uh, and Dorothy, I, I told about this, I, I ended up writing with him in my sob to the Warren Commission hearings. And I sat in the back row and I watched the uh, interviews with the witnesses, but Mr. Shaw, I didn't understand it because the, the, my, many of the members were never there. And I have corroboration that from, on that from Senator Cooper, that he was never even invited sometimes to to interview those witnesses. And he said, I noticed the staff was doing it all. And, of course, that was Hoover again, um, you know, uh, you know, going ahead and, and shutting the doors in terms and controlling those kind of people. And then he really hit with the hard information that, that is amazing, and I want your audience to know about it. He said, you know, Senator Cooper, right from the start, really had trouble believing all of this Oswald alone material. And I'm just going to tell you a few of the things that he said to me. People can look at Fighting for Justice and read the read the rest of it. But Cooper said, "Uh, the commission members already know about Jack Ruby's connection to organized crime, but they don't want to touch it. It's more than Oswald, but Hoover and Chief Justice Earl Warren keep pushing the Oswald alone uh, conclusion. Our president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, sure now wants to cover up the truth and move on. And uh, I'm very skeptical of the slipshod job being done by the commission staff and a rush to judgment and so on and so forth. And so he really was concerned that there was uh, corruption at the Warren Commission, and he was letting um, uh, Morris know about it. And uh, and then, of course, he was letting uh, Dorothy Kilgallen know about some of that. So, uh, you know, and then the, the kicker was this one. Uh, he, uh, Cooper said, the inability to gather all evidence in certain areas, as well as a number of suspicious circumstances deduced from the record, made me preclude the conclusive determination that Oswald and Oswald alone, without the knowledge, encouragement, or assistance of any person, planned and perpetrated the assassination. In other words, he did not buy the Oswald alone uh, conclusion that the Warren Commission wanted to uh, have, in, you know, have in the final report. So this is where I screwed up, Frank. I should have gone right ahead. That's in, that's in, in Fighting for Justice and a little bit more about all that the members and so on and forth, so forth, and, and we'll get into that in a minute. Well, no, let's do it now, because, all right, let's look at why Hoover was, was buttoning up the assassination with the Warren Commission. First of all, he's protecting himself. Second, he's protecting LBJ. Uh, uh, he's got uh, Alan Dulles on there to protect the, the CIA from an investigation. Uh, Bobby Kennedy is no longer attorney general. And so, Kotzenbach, the acting attorney general, Nicholas Kotzenbach, is an assistant to the commission, so he can protect protect the Kennedys from them looking into how they fixed the 60 election and Bobby Kennedy's complicity in Marilyn Monroe's death. So there's a job to be done by most of these uh, most of these people. Well, most pretty much all of them uh, were on that uh, were on the commission. So I should have looked more into that, and I didn't, but I'd had Morris Wolf tell me about a memo that he had found uh, for me, and and it said uh, this. um, Something strange is happening. Warren and Katzenbach know all about the FBI cover-up, and they are apparently and others planning to show Oswald the only one to be considered. This is an antennial position I, w- I must insist on an outside counsel. So this, I thought, was written by, uh, by Senator Cooper. But when I started to finally look, Mr. Dumbhead, I finally looked more into the Warren Commission. I decided to look at the oral histories of both Senator Cooper and Senator Russell. Cooper at uh, University of Kentucky, Russell at the University of Georgia, and what I found amazed me that Russell actually had written that memo, but then there was a memo in the, in the uh, uh, Russell file that absolutely um, just, I mean, it, it made me so upset. I was, I was just furious at what, what it said, and here's what it said. Richard Russell for, forced a final executive session of the Warren Commission. His main agenda was to present his prepared dissent, and to refuse to sign the commission report unless that dissent was included. After presenting his, his concerns, Russell was joined in dissent by Senator John Sherman Cooper and, to a lesser extent, Representative Hale Boggs. In an oral history conducted late in his life, Senator Cooper recalled that Russell's well-reasoned opinions had great in- influence on Cooper's own conclusion. Like Russell, Cooper was impressed by the strong and compelling testimony of Governor Connolly and thus was willing to follow Russell's lead in rejecting the single-bullet theory and the Oswald-Alone conclusion. So both men demanded in a meeting, this is the the chronicle of that, September 18, 1964, six days before the final Warren Commission report was released, they have an executive session with all of the members there, and they demand of Hoover and LBJ that this dissent uh, stating basically, they didn't believe in the Oswald alone theory would be included in that particular document. They demanded it, and they were assured it would be in there. Well, when the final report was released, it was nowhere to be seen, and both uh, both Russell and and Cooper were just as upset as could, as it could be. And I, I wish we had a video tonight because one of the things that Wolf Morris Wolf told me was. Look at the photograph, and I'd, I'd suggest your listeners do so. Go on the Internet and look at the photograph of the Warren Commission giving the Warren uh, Commission report to LBJ. And you'll see the players in there on the Warren Commission. Richard Russell is over to the left, Jerry Ford. There's Alan Dulles, and then there's Hale Boggs. And he said, look at where where John Sherman Cooper is. And if you look at that, and it's on the cover of Fighting for Justice, you'll see that John Sherman Cooper is basically hiding behind Hale Boggs, and he's got the most disgusted look on his face because he has known now that 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 particular um, final report doesn't have any information in there about the dissent. And then uh, I'm going to quit in a minute because I want your comments, Frank, but I'll tell you I even went further than that. I was able to find out, and this is where it's so... Um, what What the Warren Commission did is uh, as close as you can come to a crime in terms of the manipulation of evidence, but in fact uh, Senator Cooper and Senator Russell thought that they had um, that they had uh, uh, audiotaped the the the, uh, the commission meeting on September eighteen sixty four because there was an, a woman in the room that they were told was a stenographer. only later did Russell find out that she didn't record it and she wasn't even a stenographer so they had tricked them into believing that it was being recorded that dissent and the other thing that happened the dissent document itself that they had uh, you know that they had uh, uh, created uh... disappeared and basically what they did is destroy government documents that's the length that j edgar hoover and i believe lbj went to to put a stop to all of this, it was going to be Oswald alone. That's what everybody was fed. The only person that didn't believe all that uh, in and and you know in the media or anywhere else, frankly, was Dorothy Kilgallen. And we can talk about in a minute how that led to her death in 1965.
1: Well, and I hate to say this, Mark, but uh, and I appreciate such a comprehensive. Response there, we're almost out of time. I have two oh, questions. No, 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 it's okay. Please, um, uh, this is this is great. I, I wish we had you know earmarked a full hour. I have two questions for you um, about this. Mm-hmm. One is understanding that this minority report essentially mm-hmm. didn't buy the Warren Commission report and uh, the mm-hmm. findings of Oswald acting alone and the single bullet theory. Was there a belief as to what? Possibly did happen. How many yeah. shooters there were? Who was responsible? Even if they didn't believe the Oswald acted alone theory, was there an alternative
0: theory? Well, you're a smart man because you just hit on the most important part of of, of, of what I said, and that is that uh, they closed everything off, Frank. And so what happened is that there were there was no there were no other investigations because it was Oswald alone that they thought. Think about the devastating effect that that had on the assassination itself and John Kennedy getting justice and everything, because if, in fact, the dissent would have been in that final report, the Oswald alone uh, conclusion would have been debated and there probably would have been investigations by the Texas Attorney General and the and the uh, and Congress they would have looked into the mafia they would have looked into the uh, the cubans the russians the uh, uh, you know the industrial complex uh, you know they would have CIA they would looked they would have looked into that and so there would have been a comprehensive investigation i believe but because of what hoover and and johnson did to close all that out with the oswald alone uh, situation now dorothy kilgallen as you know from our previous discussions believed that it was carlos marcello who had that mafia so who had the greatest motive to kill jfk so bobby kennedy would be powerless and not come after marcello and so on and so forth she went to New Orleans, she had all this information about the dissent and everything, and basically they silenced her in, in, uh, in, in uh, November 1965, staged death scene, no investigation, all of that and everything. But the, the, the question you ask is what everybody should ask, and this is what happened back then, and this is the relevance to today. Uh, we need to ask questions today, just like uh, they needed to back in 1963, because, you know, uh, it's so important to do that. We can't take, especially when it comes to from the government, then and now, we can't take uh, their word for what they're saying, so people need to do their own research and ask those questions.
1: My other question is to what you just alluded to. And if people are just tuning in, uh, we've been talking with Mark Shaw. I can't re- recommend his books highly enough. Uh, there's a lot of great content in each of them. I'm sure even the ones that I haven't read, but I can certainly speak to the reporter who knew too much denial of justice and collateral damage. But um so much of the interesting aspect of the reporter who knew too much, Mark, is the mysterious death of mm-hmm. Dorothy Kilgallen. Tell me exactly how what we just discussed, the minority report on the Warren Commission, alternative theories about the assassination, how that led to Dorothy Kilgallen's death.
0: Well, because I knew about the uh, dissent issue with the uh, with the Warren Commission, and, and that's in Fighting for Justice, the latest book, I was able to trail back, you see to why the Warren Commission was fixed, why uh, J. Edgar Hoover and and Lyndon Johnson wanted only Oswald alone. Now, you've got Oswald, uh, supposedly, uh, although uh, his statement, I was a patsy, I think may be the only truth about the JFK assassination, but he uh, he shoots the president, supposedly, all right? Then they've got Ruby brought in as the murderer, and Melvin Belli makes him look crazy at the trial, and so his mouth is now closed in terms of the truth they've got the warren commission that then closes off any possible other investigation at the time uh, other than oswald alone well who's the only loose end that they have and that's this crazy woman in Mm. fact in some audio tapes i saw hoover called her the crazy columnist the dirty columnist i mean she was the one going against the grain she was the one that was standing up and saying i don't believe in any of this So as uh, as as she was uh, leaving the Ruby trial, she talked to Jack Ruby. He sent her to New Orleans. She investigated Marcello. She she connected Oswald, Marcello and uh, and um, and and, uh, you know, connected them with with Oswald and Ruby. And then she was going to write this book for Random House and. If you're J. Edgar Hoover, you're saying, wait a minute, that can't happen. She's going to put all this material in there, what she knows and all that, and I'm going to be indicted and Marcelo's going to be indicted. We can't let that happen. And I know we don't have much time, and you can read how that journey then ends up uh, peeling off into the fact that she goes to New Orleans, then she gets back to New York. She made a big mistake, she started being a blabbermouth, I'm going to solve the JFK assassination, I know who killed the president, I know who covered it up, all of this. She finally figured out that she's in danger because Hoover is watching what's going on, and she tells her hairdresser, if the wrong people knew what I know about the assassination it would cost me my life, I've bought a gun, and all of that. And so, what happens then in, and we, 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 again it, it's in in the books, but there's a there's a Judas who uh, kind of uh, betrays Dorothy and lets Hoover know exactly what she's going to put in the book. They set her up uh, for the kill, and finally, when she's found uh, in a bedroom she never slept in, uh, wearing her eyelashes, her hairpiece and and her makeup, uh, there's a stage death scene for for sure. there's no investigation whatsoever. Uh, that's going to come out but in the time between when they found dorothy's body and when the police came the fbi raided her apartment wow. her, her townhouse in new york city and stole her files that's why i can't tell you what uh, jack ruby told dorothy kilgallen Uh, at the Ruby trial because that information was in those files. So if you think about this then, Hoover has buttoned up all the holes now. There's nobody that's going to uh, be a threat to him uh, in terms of exposing uh, his cover-up of the JFK assassination. Mark,
1: on that note, uh, I appreciate the conversation very much. Uh, Let's schedule a full hour to flesh this out a bit more. Thank (laughs) you for the great work that you're doing. I appreciate it.
0: Hey, thank you so much. And people can find me through my website and uh, MarkShawBooks.com. And I answer every single email. So uh my address is there. Frank, you're a good man. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I can't wait till we can chat again. If you have comments on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. Again, that's uh, 800-848-9222. The website, again, is MarkShawBooks.com. A lot of great content on there. We'll continue straight ahead.